0: left episode 37 and uh how are you today Thelma lovely to see you
1: yes uh good to see you Tom um I'm very well thank you and uh looking forward to a, a chat with you and our guests later on
0: yeah indeed uh, how have you survived last week I mean I I don't want to be uh you know too negative about it but I haven't been near uh, mainstream media now for uh, over a week I've been relying on Twitter mostly for my um, news, so I've probably got a pretty skewed view of things. But how are you How are you doing with it?
1: Um, well, I must admit, if I'm being really honest, because obviously you know that I'm a Republican, <laughs> um, but when I heard of the Queen's death, I, I was quite, even though I know, you know, 96 years old, expected, I, I was quite shocked um for a few minutes it was just whether you're a royalist or not she's been a constant um all the way through my life and um my mother and my mother-in-law watched everything the queen did and princess margaret when she was alive and read everything watched everything so I kind of grew up in in that kind of environment so when I heard the news it it, it did it, it was quite uh, it did give me a, a bit of a shock really and I dipped in and out of the mainstream media but it was some of it was just absolutely so sycophantic and repetitive and The the people they are interviewing, um, who were, you know, many of them there genuinely mourning and, you know, and and have an opinion and have a voice, and I respect that. They're entitled to that. But it was just the same thing over and over again. And you just look at our country at the moment, and we've got an unelected head of state, um, an unelected prime minister, and you just see democracy just being eroded all the time. But in terms, in terms of the Queen, I, 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 you know, try to get things in perspective and know that the majority, whether I like it or not, of people in our country are monarchists, do support monarchy, um, and they're entitled to their view. But I don't have to agree with it, and I. I That piece, I don't know whether you read it, Tom, by Clive Lewis um, in The Guardian this week, I thought was really good because it was saying that, you know, we, the left and Republicans should have a voice um, and and we have a right to be heard. And certainly over this last 10 days or so, certainly uh, voices, uh, Republican voices have not been heard. And you can see that anybody showing dissent, as happened in Scotland, seemed to be being scooped off the streets and silenced, um, uh, which I find quite shocking.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think um, one of the things that was really noticeable for me, Thelma, was that uh, I can't, you know, even though I haven't been near the mainstream media, I've picked up on it. What's been happening, so I'm well aware of you know the people holding up cards and getting bundled mm-hmm. away and all this kind of stuff. But what happened to me w- when I went out into the world, it was a totally different thing. I went to uh, to work in, uh, I run a market stall and and um, in the entire market for the whole day, I was expecting this was the Friday the day after uh, the mm-hmm. queen died. I thought the market was going to be cancelled, but they, they said, no, we'll leave it to the traders. They can turn up if they want to. And I went. And the whole day went by. The market was full. The market was buzzing. There was lots of money around. And no one mentioned the Queen. And I just thought, this is really weird, because I was expecting it to be like sombre and a big deal. And I would sort of psyched myself up not to say anything controversial and and and... Nothing happened. And then last Friday, again, same thing again. I was thinking, well, you know, they've had a week now watching this media. They're going to be full of it. Nobody mentioned it. I I honestly think that the portrayal of what the country's feeling is a little bit different to what actually it is feeling.
1: Yeah. I I don't know if that's true or not. I really agree with you, Tom. And, and we were in Stroud um, visiting uh, relatives um, uh, last week, uh, or last weekend, and Stroud was the same. I, I kept looking out for, you know, or listening out for conversations and, um, and you know, some symbols connected with, with um, royalty, etc., um, and the flags, etc. But I, I hardly saw anything in Stroud at all. Um, and it's almost like we, all of it's been orchestrated, not all of it, but a lot of it's been orchestrated and exaggerated as to how we're feeling. What I would say is I think that it does, for me, symbolise the end of an era, you know, talking about my mum and my mother-in-law and how they, how they were about the royal family. For me, it does symbolise that. And I think the truth is that we are now facing uh, an awful, what could be a dreadful winter for many, many people um, with energy, price rises, et cetera, you know, growth of the food banks and there'll be a, a fewer donations to food banks as, as people who normally donate can't anymore. Um, and so that what we're facing, and then, of course, um, we've got Liz Truss now as prime minister, um, who seems even more right-wing than Johnson, if it's possible, you know, an ERG in control now. Um, and I, I just think that that people had generally respect for the Queen and I suppose she's been um, always there consistently um, and gives the country, I suppose, that sense of security in a way. Is that a way to describe it? And um, that her going, I just think, um, well, my thoughts are it It doesn't bode well with what we're facing and, and how quickly Charles was imposed. I know I know he's not been crowned yet, but imposed as Charles III within a couple of days, was it or was it immediate, um, which I, I, I think the establishment are quite twitchy at the moment, because I think, you know, a lot of people are mourning um, the Queen and her death, um, but also mourning the end of an era and that stability that she gave, whether you're a royalist or, you know, a monarchist, uh, a monarchist or a Republican. Um, so um, I, I think it's, for me, it's almost like our country's holding its breath, you know, because, uh, we've lost the trade deal with Europe, um, and we're no longer in Europe, and now we can't get a trade deal with the United States. And it is just not looking good. So, yeah, I would say people are not just mourning the death of the Queen, I think they're mourning the death of an era.
0: Yeah, I think I think you're right, Thelma. I think the, the thing about the Queen,
1: her character,
0: I mean, not that I knew her or anything, so I'm probably getting this more off the... Uh, the drama the queen than I am the Netflix drama that I am from her but there was no doubt she was a pretty constant force she Mm -hmm. knew how to play that game really really well and so throughout all the ups and downs that this country has been through we've had this kind of person there I mean towards the end I've kind of lost a bit of faith in her but I definitely did kind of feel like you know at least there's something there. I don't really agree with it, but it's going along and it's neutral and it's. I mean, it doesn't actually, she doesn't actually have any power that you can nail down, but she can swing things a bit, I think, or could obviously. But now you, she's gone, and we've got a royal family that you know you well. You 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 just said that the majority of people are monarchists. So I don't know what the stats are, but I bet you they won't be for long. Because no. what's coming next, you know, you've got Charles, he's, uh, I mean, he's got some good things, but he's an, he's, an, he's a, even though well, I don't want to be rude here, um, you know, he's <laughs> he likes his power.
1: You'll get a censor,
0: Tom. I <laughs> know, oh, that's the last thing, really, we'll tread carefully. No, um, but, um, you know, he likes his power, he likes to push people around and he doesn't like people kind of... Uh, expressing their opinions or as far as I can see anyway I I don't get a good vibe off him in the in the sense that he's not like a a, you know if you met him for a cup of tea he wouldn't like it if you weren't slightly deferential and that kind of stuff whereas I think perhaps the Queen could possibly have pulled that off if she'd have met me and had a cup of tea with me she might have just gone along with it I don't know I don't know if that makes sense, but I just know that wouldn't happen with him. And then after that, you've got William and Kate, who are, well, I don't know how much you believe, but it's a pretty, looks pretty shambolic, their whole thing. Uh, and he's the same. He's a, he's one of these people that's been groomed to be this, you know, special godlike figure. And and it's got to him a bit, I think. Uh, and it doesn't bode well, really. And I, I, I don't think they'll manage to pull it off in the way that the Queen did. So I think it's they must be slightly concerned that it's going to be all downhill from here on in really mm. um, and that will coincide with what you're saying about where we're at politically in this country. if it wasn't so horrific, it would be fascinating really wouldn't it that what's happened
1: yes i i just I think some of the things that i I found um just incredible really is this almost fantasy world that people believe in you know because i mean i have uh, for lots of reasons quite um uh, a close relationship with paddington bear <laughs> because of, because of connection you with can tell with us people, all
0: about it <laughs>
1: with, with people involved with paddington from way back when i was a little girl so he's very very special to me in lots of ways on a personal level um, but but this this fact, you know, Paddington Bear is not real. You know? <laughs> and, and you almost feel like you need to tell some of the public that, you know, James Bond is not real. <laughs> These are <laughs> fantasy figures. And it's like this world being created um, that doesn't exist in this fantasy of what Britain is, what our country is. Um, it, it is being conjured up and, and some actually believe in it, you know, believe it's real. And the rea- what is real are, as I mentioned earlier, the queues at the food banks. <laughs> you know, what is real is that we've got um, asylum seekers drowning in the channel um, because we don't give them safe passage. That's what's real. And when people like ourselves raise these issues, we're seen as, oh, stop spoiling things, stop running our country down. Well, that, you know, if that's what our country is doing, it's it's facing up to the truth, isn't it? As far as I'm concerned. Um, and you can't live in this fantasy world. But you know, for um the period of mourning and for the funeral. I was willing to step back and say, no, this is, you know, there's personal grief for members of the family and you should respect that. And for many people in the country, um, as I've mentioned, it's the end of an era. So, you know, I'm willing to to respect that, but I'm not respecting this fantasy Britain that's being created um, when people are struggling um, and facing such hardship and that's a political choice. Why people are suffering the way they are? It has been a political choice. And what gets me now with Liz Truss and some of these new ministers is, you know, we are going to make a fresh start. We're going, this is what the future is going to be like. They've been in power twelve years. The Tories, just incredible, incredible. Yeah,
0: I suppose they see those guys. Well, we'll get onto that later. But just on that thing about the fantasy of the whole thing, uh, yeah, I'm. I, I've, I've got that written down almost exactly that, the, the the myth of this thing that's put on the people and the people believe it, and that becomes the reality. And like you're saying there, Thelma, the reality is this, but we're told it's this, and we believe it. You know I, when when I was a, a kid, I was I, I grew up being told that Great Britain was a force for good. Yeah. We were the ones that took civilization to the world, and yeah. I just think, yeah, fantastic. You know, Isambard Brunel and Robert Louis yeah. Stevenson—not him, yeah. no, the one that made the steam engines—and yeah. and,
1: remember the pink bits on the on the world map yeah. of the Empire yeah. on your classroom wall? It was always yeah. there, wasn't it? I mean, we were—it re- was
0: really hammered into us. Yeah. And and I remember even when I I kind of dropped out completely from society, and and I was on my way across uh, Europe and Asia hitchhiking. And I remember being proud to be British at that age. Even when I was a full blown dropout, I still carried this thing with me. When people said, where are you from? I would proudly say I was from England. Mm. And, And it's taken me, well, over the whole of my lifetime, that's been chipped away, chipped away, chipped away. I don't really care about what we did historically because it wasn't us anyway, really. It was our ancestors that did all those terrible things or even did the good things. But the myth of Great Britain, the myth of England, and the myth of some kind of specialness about us and our royal family, it really is holding everything back on a, on a consciousness level for me. I just see it. As long as you're believing that stuff, how can you see anything objectively I can't get it
1: no I know I I mean yesterday there were all these uh, posts on social media about oh we do pageantry better than anyone else and you you know I mean I thought the actual service uh, was very beautiful and the choral singing and all the rest of it but then the 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 marching the parading afterwards and the military and the the, the navy etc and Um, you know, Canadian Mounties and the cost of it. You know, I was just thinking about the cost of it and um, this military might that was was being displayed. Um, I I didn't enjoy that bit. Um, I know people do and the crowds watching. Obviously, that's what they wanted. Um, But for me it's just and the lead up to the funeral as well the few days before um I I I just think it's an anachronism now I think I think the rest of the world love watching it but most countries don't have it themselves (laughs) because obviously you look at the cost of it all um, and the relevance of it you know, um, and I know that, yes, the funeral was you know momentous uh, historic occasion, and I get all of that um but it's now, I think it's the time now is the time to have that discussion about the future for democracy and a written constitution, and an elected head of state um you know we 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 really need to have that conversation, and you you, met, you raised earlier about percentage of of people who who support the monarchy etc i think it depends on the age group i think when you get to the 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 youngest it goes woo, way way up much bigger percentage and then over 65 is it like 60 70 percent um a monarchist so it does it's the demographics there um but i think that you know it is time at least for a debate and discussion but it's but even that is being is being suppressed, which is, I think, quite scary.
0: So I was I, I, I listening to this really interesting discussion about how it's extremely important in a society that all points of view are heard. Just not so much necessarily that you have to have all points of view having power or whatever. But if you silence one point of view or one side of the argument, you you never really get to hear uh, the whole thing, and th- and that's when you get a skewed conversation, a skewed kind of consciousness. So, for example, with royalty now, every everything's about how wonderful it is, and there's nothing heard about republicanism. So you get this kind of one-sided picture that then becomes a kind of reality, and the same thing has happened with. Uh, capitalism socialism where they've kind of silenced the left you you never hear the word socialism unless it's an insult and you never you never hear the word left unless it's used in a kind of insulting way and so they've skewed the whole argument to towards you know that they've moved the whole thing that way and uh so it's quite interesting, because the guy saying this was actually an extremely right-wing commentator, but I thought it was a fascinating point, that if you want a healthy society, everybody's got to have their point of view heard.
1: Well, the, 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 the end game for that, it, it's terrifying to think about it, but the end game for that is fascism, isn't it? I mean, you know, if you, if you do silence any dissent, or even discussion or anybody voicing a differing point of view, um, then you are talking about fascism. Um, And when you're getting people who can't even shout out in a crowd and show any dissent, and then you get people who have uh, been accused of uh, maybe acting inappropriately, but you can, um, but you know, if if you get to that situation where somebody is rehabilitated uh, back into society and back onto our mainstream television because it, that's they have the same viewpoint. But anybody who shows any dissent or criticism of that person, they're the ones that are prosecuted. They're the ones that are arrested. And that, I think, were a, a scary, scary times. Yeah, where, you
0: can see where that's going to go. So, yeah uh yeah anyway, that's probably a good point to end this part of the podcast, and uh, we'll get our guests in now and uh move on to part two. Yes, okay, so we're on to the second part of the podcast now, and we've got uh first guest in Doug Thorpe, who's the Secretary of Left Unity. Doug, before we go any further, like, would you just tell me a little tiny bit about the history of left unity and where you're at h- how long you' have been going how it how it's going um and sort of briefly what your hopes are.
2: Okay, well, Left Unity was formed uh, in about 2013 on the back of the anti-austerity movement, these student rent protests, and what was happening across Europe with Syriza and these the movements in the squares in various parts of Europe, Podemos in, in, in Spain, and so on. Uh, Ken Loach was involved and put out an appeal And and about 20,000 people signed Ken's appeal, but that wasn't the the starting point. That was just an appeal. Left unity formed down to that and fairly rapidly grew to around 2,000 members. But then when Jeremy Jeremy Corbyn was elected leader of the Labour Party, uh, about two thirds of those members left to join the Labour Party and be part of that project quite quite understandably that seemed perhaps the quickest route to the left to gain power and taking on the issues of the, you know following the banking crisis and so on and that we maintained left unity uh, for a number of reasons partly because of some issues that, that Jeremy wouldn't have been able to take up, like opposing Trident and withdrawal from NATO, um, but also because we had contact uh, uh, links with um, other left organisations across Europe, like Syriza, like Die Linke in Germany, like Esquerda uh, Unida in, in Portugal, and so on, and Spain. So, and we felt it was important to keep those links going. We've maintained that really at, at, at a fairly steady level of uh, you know 500 members or so and now we're looking to try and link up with other people on the left to, with the hope that something bigger than any of our constituent parts might be formed to create some sort of new left party in britain i don't think we think we're it but we do hope to be part of it i think that's a short sum god that sounds
0: nice <laughs> something really positive um, I have stayed away from joining any left parties. I was I was obviously I joined the Labour Party when Jeremy was the leader. Uh I left pretty soon after uh Keir became the leader. I mean there's a gaping hole now for a left party and there are hundreds of thousands of potential members and how is it going to happen I'm one of those potential members, but I don't want to jump uh, because I've seen people jump and then they've gone, oh, it's not quite... It's a, it's a bit of a minefield out there for us, Doug. Uh,
1: one, one of the things just coming in there, Tom, um, that I've really enjoyed um, uh, working with Left Unity on, um, because it, Left Unity are involved with the People's Alliance of the Left, has been that they are one of the few groups... That have formed a party from scratch um, and have the experience of setting up a new party, which is massive. Um, and that wisdom that's there from those members of Left Unity and members of their exec. Um, of having gone through that pain barrier really because it must have been really tough at the beginning Doug of getting everything in place even just getting a you know a constitution for the party and all the rest of it and a policy platform but I think members of, of POW have learned from left unity and left unity have been able to use that experience and wisdom um, to support comrades um, within our alliance. And I personally have been very appreciative of that. And I think what Doug says about, we can be a small part of, of, of something bigger, which we'll talk about more uh, later, perhaps, um, it is that hope. Um, and, and that's why on a personal level I keep battling on because there has to be an alternative. We have to build that alternative.
2: And I think there'll be ups and downs. And, you know, we all had great hopes, I think, when we heard that Jeremy Corbyn was creating some sort of organisation. And 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 it's not just us. As Tom said, there's hundreds of thousands of people there. I mean, 60,000 people signed up to that, and perhaps it didn't turn into what a lot of them thought it would be. We'll probably come on to other things. But I think whatever else it happens, the fact that 500,000, people signed up to enough is enough again exposes there's that vacuum out there but a lot of people are like you tom actually they're holding back from joining anything which is which is you know i would say i would say wouldn't i i i try to encourage people who like our politics to join us not on the basis that we're going to be it but that if they think that they like our existing politics and would like to be and, and share the view that we need to try and find that way to so that something bigger Then, don't just stay on the sidelines
0: get involved. Okay I'll just uh welcome our second guest Alex Mays of the Breakthrough Party great to see you Alex uh, return to the podcast and um you're very welcome um thank you we've been discussing as always uh how we're going to fill this uh, gaping hole on the left for our socialist party and we Doug and Thelma were kind of saying, you know, we've got to start somewhere, which I totally agree. But um, I I was just saying, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of us here waiting, but we don't know which way to jump. Um, And that's kind of where I'm at, Alex. And uh, I think there's a lot of us there at the moment.
3: Yeah, I, I have to agree. And this has been, I think this has been the case probably for the last 18 months to two years, right? I think... There's been a lot of people that these people haven't just disappeared. Like these are, you know, you're here. and Like so many, like, you know, there's many other hundreds of thousands of others that are kind of just looking for that alternative. And I think there's a lot of people that have put their energies into um, trade union, trade unionism, um, into like certain campaign group organisations and also like just like grassroots initiatives as well. Um, and I think yeah there hasn't really you know we're obviously trying to break through and i'm sure like you know I say like left unity and there's other organizations as well that are trying to be that you know trying to be a political home for people and i do understand why people because because there isn't that mass party that just exists that people can just go okay i can get involved in that i think people it's quite a big step to take isn't it i can understand that it's a big step to take to just be like okay this is a party that's got so in our case like a nearly a thousand members are you ready to take that jump while if you see a party with a hundred thousand members say you're kind of like well i know there's a hundred thousand people in that already and i know that that is that there's a case for it already existing it's a very difficult situation and it's like it's like chicken and egg isn't it you need more people to join to make this organization happen but then you've also got to have more people in the organization to convince others to join it's a really difficult situation i don't know what's going to be that tipping point for people at the moment i'd say
0: I think one of the things that a lot of us are holding back on is we don't like disunity. We don't like falling out over stuff that I know all this stuff is really important on some level, but in terms of the greater goal, we have to overcome tripping up over issues and I know I see so much. You see it on Twitter and it gets exaggerated beyond what it really is, where people start to insult each other almost about differences that they've got. Instead of thinking, actually, we've got a huge amount in common. We've got this tiny little difference. So we'll argue about that and fall out and wreck the joint. And I don't want to go there. I want to know that when I do sign up, it's going to be a bunch of sensible people that can keep the perspective of what we're trying to achieve here. And I I don't know. I, I think if if a party, correct me if I'm wrong, you're more experienced this than I am. You've all been working on this a long time. But I think if a party came together and presented this sensible front that continually pushed out this kind of balanced, reasonable point of view that was based on such simple things as kindness and honesty and all of those things that we can all agree on plus some you know I've I've seen the breakthrough manifesto it's fantastic I love it oh, and so you. why why are we having issues why what's going on what's the, why do we let this personality crap get in our way and and I think we need to get it out of the way and then perhaps we can come forward yeah
3: I agree I think there's a couple of issues really like the first one, I think, that, that definitely does exist on the left. There may be, like, people might not agree with me here, but they might might do, but I think the left has an issue with um, relying on messianic figures to lead the way. I think that is a massive problem that we have on the left. Like, you see that like someone new that will get lauded as the next Jeremy Corbyn or, like, you know, or someone that's going to, you know, from the trade union movement and they're seen as, like, the saviour. And, like, we can now follow them and they will be the ones that will save us from all the issues around cost of living crisis the climate crisis housing crisis what have you and i think that we as a you know we as a collective need to realize that the power comes from us together and the issue as you say rightly say as well is that you have a lot of different sort of i guess ideologies on the left and you know i think the, the founding principles of the left in general are very similar to you know they're, 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 you know they are very defined but what happens is that if you have, like, say, we've got, you know, within our party, just as an example, we have people like ranging from like social democrats, democratic socialists, eco-socialists, Marxists, communists, anarchists, all in one space. But what, they, what ties them all together is those sort of founding principles, values and policies. And I think that's what we need to do as, as a united left is like, look at these things. What do, as you say, what things do bring us together? What things can we agree on? and find a way to build from that rather than getting caught up in really like quite minor issues at times I've seen. And it is very frustrating, like, as I I've always seen myself as a collaborator and I enjoy working with other groups and um, organizations and people that may have a slightly different perspective on things. I just find it very like, you know, I think the, the online sphere as well, like we're trying to move away quite a lot from the online sphere and focus more on like campaigning and organizing communities. Because I think it can become a bit of a, Twitter can become a bit of a battleground, um, an unnecessary battleground where a lot of horrible things are said and there's not really much going on beyond that, you know. So I think that, that that's the thing for me is like, how can we, as you say, unite the left around one common goal? And then, you know, those little differences shouldn't have to get in the way of that cooperation.
0: I think
2: as well that the left is very good the democratic socialist left is very hot on the socialism, not always so good on the democracy. And I think what we would have to recognise is that in any large party, there will be differences. And we, I, I'm not trying to build the sort of old-fashioned revolutionary party where once you take a decision, everybody has to do the same thing. On the other hand, you do have to recognise be able to recognise those differences, make people feel that their voice is being heard and that there is some sort of democracy within the party that will allow them to make their case and, and, and so on. And it can be incredibly diff- difficult. And when you, the smaller you are, the more individual personalities loom large and the bigger you get. I do think the left is has this perception, people have this perception of the the far left or the outside of the Labour Party left of always splitting, which is why I think that examples of people joining together are actually so powerful and are received so well by the general movement. So I think we need to look at that. But also, we do need to be very, very careful about the democracy. In Left Unity, we had a lot of people joining who had already been in other organizations. Part of the reason we don't have a single leader, for instance, is people had had that experience in the Workers Revolutionary Party or the Socialist Workers Party or the Militant or something like that of the Great Leader Syndrome or the Founder Syndrome and wanted to avoid it. So that's something, we we parcel up the duties. (laughs) There's a few of us still, only a few of us, so it still gets a bit that way. But I do think, and we have managed, although we are a lot smaller than we would like to be, we still have people who came from all those different strains of the left, the Labour Party, the Green Party, the Militant, the Socialist Workers' Party and, and, and others and so on, and have managed to keep them in there. doesn't mean we are, we don't have the odd step, but we've managed to find a way of keeping people in there. And I think that's something, you know, that the, the left needs to learn more.
1: From. Yeah. Moving on from that, from what you both said, I'd like to ask you both um, your thoughts on the new and growing movement of Enough is Enough and how that is different from the already existing People's Assembly, Momentum, Peace and Justice Project, you'll already know that I'm just a little bit hesitant at the moment because I'm not sure what it's going to lead to. And I'd really like your thoughts, both of you, on the significance of this new movement, which is growing and the rallies are um, packed to the rafters uh, everywhere uh, there's an event or a rally. Um, so I can see that so far it's, it, it is is gaining momentum. But I'd like your thoughts on it.
2: Um, oh, perhaps I, I can start. I think one of the things we, we might all have been thinking as those strikes were beginning to take place this summer, we were buoyed up by the fact that a fight back seemed to be beginning to take place, led by some of the trade unions, and that those... Trade unions with national disputes like, because there are lots of strikes and things going on in individual workplaces but the the national nature of the rail strikes and the postal strikes gave a sort of national nature to this and then when you see saw that the the leaders of those trade unions talking about broader issues. I think that caused an enthusiasm that I first heard it on a, on a rally for the RMT at King's Cross before Enough is, enough was, was launched. But both Dave Ward from the uh, Communication Workers Union and Mick Lynch were starting to talk about things like the health service and so on, going beyond what trade union leaders normally talk about on on picket lines and on strike rallies. So when they launched this organisation, and it's true that there could be some concerns that there are left Labour MPs were involved in the launch, but the two that were, Zara Sultana and Ian Byrne, well Ian Byrne was facing attempts from the Labour leadership to have him deselected as an MP, and, and Zahra is probably as much to the left in the Labour Party, so they're not they wouldn't be ones that MPs that Keir Starmer would be supporting. And then the involvement of Acorn as a community organization and the food fans supporting food banks gave it a community thing. And what they said they were going to do. Now, I think we have to see where they go. They said they would hold rallies. They said they would organize picket lines solidarity. They said they would create community groups. And they said that they would call sort of. Uh, Collective action against things like the energy they've organized this picket line solidarity rallies they've organized the rallies they're now calling action on the 1st of October. And interesting, and I think this is powerful, the fact that they're going to call protests in 14 cities, but also their trade unions are coordinating strike action on that very same day means that it's giving it a combined focus between the organized working classes that were, in the trade unions uh, and some of the campaigns. Where there hasn't been much development from them so far is, is the creation of the community groups. And I think whether that happens or not could be critical to this, because whether the people involved get some chance to do something and, all, and have their own say in things. Now, some cases it's being leapfrogged by local groups in in Tottenham and Haringey, for instance, there's been a local Enough is Enough or what it's called as a community and trade union network created up on the back of this in Enfield, in Luton, similar things are happening, but these haven't, but they they aren't groups organised by the Enough is Enough campaign. So some people are sort of impatient and doing it for themselves. So I think... We would want to go with this, given know, 500,000 people signing up for something. It's not something. That, so, our view is that yes, we've seen trade union leaders and other leaders let us down in the past. On the other hand, this is something that is moving in a lot of good directions. So, we would rather go with it. And if we think things are going wrong, make the criticisms from the inside than just watch it until it got itself perfect enough for us to join. I think that's, that, that's where we're at.
1: So- Alex,
3: your thoughts? Um, yeah, absolutely. So with um, with Enough is Enough, I think when I first saw it launched, I was really quite excited about it. I think those who were involved in it, I know I talked about messianic figures before and uh, maybe I'm sort of contradicting myself here, but like the people that are getting involved in it were people that you'd kind of go, okay, like I can get on board with this and say like Mick Lynch, Eddie Dempsey, Dave Ward, and then seeing like the, the two Labour MPs, even though again, I would, there's probably some, difficulty with Labour having any sort of link to this Um, even with CWU I know that Dave Ward is very critical of Starmer but their relationship with Labour hasn't really changed from what I can gather in the last two years Um, but the people that are actually the leaders of this campaign and what it was trying to do I thought was really good I guess my only concern with it really was that it could go the sort of same way as People's Assembly like as you say like having, having these sort of nationwide rallies Occasionally, like going, you know, going to picket lines and what have you, and then what happens after that? I think the community groups, as as Doug said, are absolutely key. If we want to empower people and actually get them involved, I think it has to be done locally. Because yeah, like if we just keep doing like city-based stuff, and you just see like these rallies, which are great, by the way, like I I went to Manchester one and it was great. Like the turnout, the atmosphere, the turnout was brilliant. But I think it has to be so much more than that. I, I think the the thing that makes it perhaps different and is maybe captured the imagination more is the fact that it has focused specifically on cost of living crisis it's the it's the one thing that everyone's focused on right now under completely understandably so given given the how how dire the situation is so yeah i think for me in principle i support what it's doing but i again i think similar to yourself Thelma, i want to see more before i you know like I, i've already reached out to them personally and like from a party perspective like we're we're happy to see what they're doing and like support what they're doing but there definitely needs to be more meat on the bones at this stage. Like we're working with Acorn and others that are involved in the campaign. And I think even, you know, like they're, they're sort of like putting a hell of a lot of energy in it from what I can see. Um, so Yeah, it could be really exciting. I, I think as well, one of thing is that I think people need to be wary of what they think it's going to be. Like I know a lot of people said, Oh, why can't this be a, polit- you know, is this going to become a political party? But I know that Eddie Dempsey and Mick Clinch both said in a previous interview, I think it was with Joe, that that wasn't going to happen. So I think people have just got to have that expectation management, like what is this actually going to be? And hopefully with the strategy that we'll probably see over the coming weeks and months from them, we'll probably have more of an understanding of what that will be.
1: I think my position is more uh, with you, Alex, and your views with it, if I'm honest. Um, I I, I actually think it could uh, evolve into something really great. Um, But I think people's expectations have been raised now Um, and I think we're talking about a lot of people I mentioned earlier who are really struggling and I think they they they're looking to this new movement and are attending these rallies wanting answers and wanting solutions. Um, and wanting leadership, I know we, I agree with you with the messianic figure, and and that you know is not is is not going to happen. But I think it's it's the unions that that we need to look to, because we're seeing some politicians piggyback on this. And um, I have immense respect for Ian who he's been on our podcast with, you know, with both Tom and I, I think he's amazing, um, and Zara, such a brave, principled politician, so uh, no problem with, with those two particular politicians, but we are now seeing other politicians who have, uh, shall we say, a little bit of a checkered um, history and background, who are taking the brand or taking the uh, the enough is enough uh, kind of uh, title there, um, and and using it, and I, that call me a cynic, <laughs> but I'm I'm just a bit skeptical about that and whether it's done purposefully to actually split. Uh, the the very powerful um, work that's being done, or just in their own personal interests, and that's what I'm watching. That's that's what I'm watching. Um, or is it is it that it's a movement to to kind of um, bring the grassroots labour, and I don't mean the the formal grassroots labour. I mean the wider labour socialist movement together under one umbrella when we've got groups like our alliance with PAL, et cetera, and we've got two parties like Breakthrough and Left Unity starting to work very uh, closely together and effectively together. And I'd like to ask you both about that and your plans for the future. And And is it a means of, of, of preventing that from progressing? I don't know. I am sounding cynical with this, but I would love it to succeed. I would love the union's... Um, to take the lead on this and I would love to see it evolve into a a socialist party um, that would give that alternative for many um, voters um, and the public to to go to um, for people like Tom and I'm not in a political party at the moment uh, to, to have that choice and have that alternative so I don't know what you think Tom
0: well, let's just get this first thing done, and then I want to ask you a big question. So, Left Unity and uh, Breakthrough, are you going to become one party? Well, How's it going to work? I mean, or are you just going to muddle along and get on well together? I mean, we need something to happen, don't we? you want to come in that dog, or shall I? <laughs> uh,
2: you come in first, Alex, and I'll, 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 I'll come in as a...
3: Yeah okay so like we're absolutely like we, we've um like Left Unity and Breakthrough had really good like positive discussions and we have already really I like to think anyway Doug I don't know you. Might, I think you would say as well like we have a really good relationship between um Breakthrough and um Left Unity there's a lot of mutual respect respect there um, and we really like what you know what Left Unity have done and like the work that, that they're doing a uh, more like international basis as well European basis I think is really something to be admired and there's a lot of experience as well within within their ranks as well. I think what I would love to see is like more, more working together. Um, we've already started doing that, I believe, in London. Um, I believe in Leeds and also in Liverpool. And we want to do a lot more of that. And I absolutely would never, I would definitely not rule out the chances of us becoming one party in the future. I think that's absolutely something that could be an option for, for both parties and something I think we, we'd both be interested in. I think the difficulty at the moment and is around as great, you know, we've only been going for 12 to 18 months and we've sort of finally sort of built a, I'm going to say a brand of sorts, like people will know who we are. And I think that creating a whole new vehicle, like given that I know how much work it is to start a new party from scratch, it's it's a hell of a lot of work. I guess if you have got the people there, then it can definitely be definitely easier so we're sort of wanting to see how these next few weeks and months go, um, but we are definitely wanting to build our relationship with left unity, we have a lot of respect for them, and we definitely would never rule out the idea of a future merger, in, in my opinion, and I think that would be the held view of the party as well, if I was to like speak to members and our national committee as well.
2: Yes, and, and from from Left Unity's point of view, um, we we feel very much the same about the comrades in Breakthrough that we've met, and and when we do get together and do stuff, and and but within Left Unity we also have people who weren't as aware of you and said, well, who are Breakthrough? How can we meet them and so on? And to a certain extent, some of that's happened. We've had some joint meetings in London, uh, people have met in Liverpool, and are going to in Leeds if they haven't already done so, um, but. But we do recognise that you came about in a different time. You've been formed necessarily largely online because we had COVID and there weren't events going on. Whereas maybe our members, having been engaged for a longer time, were more embedded in other campaigns and things. So, as as I think we we certainly have taken you know uh, very actually our national council have made a clear decision to continue. The, to work with Breakthrough, with the view possibly, I would put it slightly differently to merging parties, I would say jointly creating a new party would be the thing, and I think we, we also will have the same things about the branding, you know, people have held on to the idea of left unity for what now, uh, seven years or something, they're, 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 they don't want to just give it up straight away either, so But we do want to cooperate. And I think as you emerge into the world and are doing stuff that we can do with you as opposed to just online, we people will get to know each other. We can do joint stuff together. That would be great. And that's certainly our aim. And our aim is with a view, with hopefully breakthrough, maybe others, to create something that I think could be more than the sum of its parts if it came together. It wouldn't just be a putting together of two things and adding up the numbers. I think... I said earlier, the left sees people getting together positively and splits negatively. So if, if we could create something new jointly, I'm sure we would rapidly find others joining us as well. I,
3: I totally agree. And by the way, I, I definitely want to clarify that that's what in terms of the merge. When I always say refer to a merge, I mean, like absolutely what you're saying, essentially like bringing the two together to start a new party. That's that's definitely what I would like to see as well, if that was to go, if we were going to go down that path.
1: What one thing I can say from working with both of you and both of your parties is that you're living proof that there are good, principled, decent people in politics um, who do listen to other people. Um, And that's why I enjoy working with you both and your members um, in our alliance. Um, And and that is the positive from it. And as you both said, uh, the public generally do not like to see division and splits, which is what obviously what's happening in the Labour Party at the moment. Um, and so there's loads of positives to take from this. Um, and as I say, you're proof that you can do politics a different way, as Jeremy used to talk about. So I, I just think
0: that the Trump card the left has doesn't get displayed enough on, on, on Twitter, basically, or, or in the media. You know, we're always made out to be these uh, theoretical arguing. We've talked about it here, division and falling out over little issues. In actual fact, what our best bit and the bit that you see coming through from these hundreds of thousands of people that are waiting is our hearts. And that's what Thelma was saying there, really, that that is somehow or other we've got to get it out there. That, you know, we're not this kind of dreadful people that that the establishment makes out to be we're actually the the okay people i don't know how you do it it's not my field of expertise but it just it, it does really make me angry sometimes the way we get portrayed uh, and in actual fact the reality generally is is quite the opposite
2: i think you're right tom and uh, i think it takes us back again really to the confidence to be able to acknowledge differences, li- listen to each other, use, use, use real language rather than, than stuff drawn from sort of early 20th century texts and so on, but, but, but not lose those lessons. I think that you know we, we shouldn't be afraid of having theoretical discussions. What we've got to be able to do is to discuss things with each other, perhaps disagree, but still continue to work together and, and have democratic means of, of resolving these things without throwing a hissy fit and walking out of the room every time you disagree with someone. Now, I think most people don't do that and those people
1: can get on. Yeah, a lot of it's about respect, isn't it? It's, it's, it's showing people respect and listening to other people as well um, and not always assuming you're right. <laughs> Um, I think we need to learn from each other. I think that's the important thing, not just in politics, but in every, everything. Yeah,
0: right. I think I'm going to call it a day there on this podcast. What a lovely ending. And um, uh, just been an absolute pleasure talking to you all. And um, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, let's hope we can do it again sometime soon. Uh, if right. anything what this podcast, me and Thelma made this podcast to give the left a voice. It's really important that we have that voice, mainstream media are not going to give us that voice. Uh, and uh, putting out a podcast like this, it just makes me feel like people want to listen to this stuff. They want to hear it. Thank you so much, Doug. Thank you so much, Alex. Thank you. It's been well, thank you, Tom and Thelma for having us. Yeah. And thank you, Thelma for, as ever, being a such wonderful company. I'll leave you to
1: wind it up. Yeah, okay. Leave you with the words of Martin Luther King. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter, Solidarity.